Good morning. Welcome to Portico. It is great to have you with us. And uh, whether you're here in this room or you're watching online or over in the chapel venue or our video cafe, we're one church, one message, many expressions, and kind of all gathering. It's great to have you with us this morning. And uh, we're going to just kind of jump right in. We've been in a series together uh, talking about tough questions, interrogating the Christian faith. And if you are in a growth group or in a, in a, a home group, or if you're here at our Growth Group's experience on Wednesday nights, you've been having some very interesting discussions, I would imagine, and some very, very meaningful talks uh, about these questions that we've been talking about. And this week will be no different. So I want to just get you to take out your Bibles right away. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd like to help you with that. We can loan you one today. Just lift your hand up nice and high, and our ushers are ready to serve you. Just keep it up there until somebody comes and brings you a Bible, and you can borrow that and leave it on the, on the chair when you're done. Uh, sermon notes, they're available to you uh, in, in your bulletin, or if you're using our church app, you can find them on the, the very front page of the app under This Week. And if you're watching online, the notes are also available to you. Just look on the, the bottom of that little, little window to the side, and you'll be able to find the notes there that you can fill in and follow along. Today's question is, should I trust the church? Should I trust the church? And I, I showed you that video clip this morning. Well, first, because it's hilarious, right? But, but also because it's, it highlights for us a common attitude and, and underscores for us a common attitude that occurs sometimes outside the church of Jesus Christ. And that is this attitude that Christians are, that we're exclusive, that we are clicky, that, that you have to be an insider to understand the jargon somehow to be a part of all of it. And, and people can be skeptical and suspicious about the church and those exclusive sounding events like, you know, the born again boat ride. And, and that kind of stuff, it only fuels this kind of skepticism and distrust. I, I especially, you know, I thought about, about uh, Sheldon uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to find your group is so far advanced now that you're not afraid of sort of sailing off the edge. It's that kind of attitude of a skeptic that, that uh, we sort of see illustrated there. But there's something even bigger than that that, that causes a skeptic to distrust the church. And that is the accusation or this statement that most of us have heard leveled at us at one point or another. Uh, you know, if we have talked to anyone outside of, outside of faith about, about church or Jesus or, or what we believe, and that is this, this statement. You know, they say, I could never be involved in church. The church is full of... Ah, you've heard this before. The church is full of hypocrites. It's full of hypocrites. And so... There, there, this is the problem. It's, it's a very big problem because God, God has a very special purpose for His church. And it's, it's, that, uh, it's that that we want to sort of use to, to jump into this discussion this morning. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to start there today. And Ephesians is in the New Testament, kind of towards the end of the book a little bit if you're looking today. And here's what this text says in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. It says that, that his intent or God's intent, his purpose for the church was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's eternal purpose for the church is that through it, 
the manifold wisdom of God, or the the many-layered, or the intricate, or the many-splendored wisdom of God, would be made known. And so the problem is, if that's going to happen with any kind of success, if God is going to make himself known to our world through his church, then we need to, we need to grapple with this, with this idea, this allegation of hypocrisy, and figure out how to either own it with some explanation or to somehow disprove it. Now, if you think about that for, I don't know, maybe two seconds, you've already come to the fact, the conclusion, like me, that, that disproving that there are hypocrites in the church, well, that's going to be a tough hill to climb. Am I right? Yeah, we, we know there's hypocrites in the church. Uh, there, there are some doozies, as a matter of fact. So, so we've got to talk today about, about how do we own that fact and then look at some of the potential causes of hypocrisy in the church so that we can help people to understand why it happens, but also understand that not everyone in the church is a hypocrite right? Here's the thing. The church, by its very design, is set up to be hypocritical. You know why? Because it's full of sinners. Because we're all here, right? I looked and looked. I searched for years for a perfect church, and when I finally found it, well, it wasn't perfect anymore because I was there, right? So it's full of sinners, sinners who are saved by God's grace, yes, and sinners who are doing their best to follow Jesus, but also sinners who are are growing in their faith and making mistakes and sometimes getting off track. Sometimes the church has people in it who lose sight of God's grace and what being a part of his family is really about and who become so religious, you know, the rule keepers that we talked about a couple of weeks back, rather rather than having a relationship with God, they're focused on religion, and so they become more harm than good in the church. And we want to talk a little bit about that as well. Because many people, many skeptics who are outside, you know, looking in, they generalize their accusations of hypocrisy based on a singular experience, one experience that they had. They say, well, you know, I know a Christian, and he hits his wife. Or I know a Christian, and and he's an alcoholic. Or I know a, a Christian, and she's having an affair with our neighbor. What about that? And you've all heard these kinds, of, these kinds of generalizations. And the truth is, the hypocrisy argument, it's an argument. We're not going to win. There are hypocrites in the church. But to say that the church is full of hypocrites, that's like, that's like characterizing the whole world a certain way because of some certain people's actions. It's like saying, you know, people commit murder in the world. And so therefore, I can't be a part of the world because the world is full of murderers. And so we need to determine, you know, what, what are the, the potential causes of hypocrisy in the church? And we need to decide this for two reasons. First, so that, so that those of us who are inside, who are believers, followers of Christ, so that we can guard against hypocrisy in our own lives or maybe change our ways if necessary. And second, so that those who are outside, the skeptical, you know, the ones who are still asking questions, those they can realize that there are some potential reasons that hypocrisy can happen and that it is the exception, not the rule, not the norm. And so we're going to look at these three potential causes of of hypocrisy together. Take out your notes. Follow along with me this morning. The first one is this, arrogant and judgmental attitudes. Arrogant and judgmental attitudes. We know we can find arrogant and judgmental people all over the world in all walks of life. But let's face it, these kind of people 
I don't know, for some reason, they also show up in church more often than we would like to admit. And Jesus, you know, he gave some instructions about this. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, 3 to 5, he, he said, why do you, why do you look at the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. There it is. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This, this whole concept is kind of like me saying that I'm going on a cross-Canada tour to promote the wonderful attributes of, of diet and exercise. That would be a, a very hypocritical thing for me to do. Because I love to eat, and, and my word for exercise is a different word. It's torture. Right? What Jesus describes here is, is arrogant hypocrisy at its finest. Not only is the person being referred to in Jesus' example not practicing what they preach, they are doing the exact opposite. They're saying to someone, you know, what you're doing is wrong, all the while doing the very same thing or, or maybe even something worse according to the, to the illustration. Well, I remember when I was a young Bible college graduate in the mid-1980s, and yes, I can remember back that far, Uh, Just starting out in ministry in my first youth pastor position here in this city, I I had to work at a a retail chain and and supplement my income in order to be able to pay the bills. This afforded me the opportunity for some very interesting uh, encounters and conversations with colleagues, especially when, you know, around the mid-80s, some very nasty scandals broke involving some very prominent people in the church world. Some of you, you know, who are older than... I don't know, 40, 50. You'll remember some of these. Uh, a man named Jimmy Swaggart, who was a televangelist from Louisiana. He had, been, he had been vocally carrying out on-screen attacks against two other TV evangelists uh, that were you know, also prominent in that day. And, and their names were Marvin Gorman and Jim Baker. Swaggart went even further by actually getting personally involved in an investigation that, that eventually uncovered uh, an affair that Marvin Gorman was having with somebody in his congregation. And then also he, he publicized this, this sexual indiscretion, indiscretion that Jim Baker had with, with a, a woman named Jessica Hahn while you know, on some out-of-state ministry trip. It got really ugly. And, and as headlines appeared in the Toronto Star and the Sun, one colleague of mine, a British woman, her name was June, she had no use for God, she had no use for church at all, and every single morning when a, when a new story came out in the paper, she was always quick to corner me in the stockroom and just begin to pepper me with questions. How can, how can you promote a religion that has people like that in it? I don't know if you've ever heard this kind of stuff. All Christians are the same. You, you people, you're no better than, than any of the rest of us. And on and on and on it would go. And it didn't help at all when, you know, about a year later, Marvin Gorman, he retaliated, hired a private investigator who discovered that Jimmy Swaggart was actually, you know, practicing involvement with prostitutes and, and all that kind of stuff. So here you have this, this thing I've got a plank in my own eye, but I'm trying to point out the speck in someone else's. What a mess. And when, when people, with people like this, who are involved in, in leadership in the church very publicly, like how do we even have a chance? Arrogance and judgmental attitudes happen when someone begins to feel like somehow they've, they've arrived. Like they are, I don't know, untouchable 
That's what, what happened, I think, in these circumstances. One, one person judging and accusing others while there was stuff going on in his own life that was just as terrible. And folks, when people in the church act this way, we all pay the price. We all get painted with the very same brush. We, we cringe. I don't know about you, but every time, you know, another story comes out of some public prominent Christian leader, I, I cringe every time because I think, oh man, now we're going to have some more conversations. We're going to have some more conversations, and we're not excited about, about the, you know, the opportunity to engage in that way always. And it can be so easy for us to judge, but also for for others to judge as well. And, and Jesus, uh, you know, he, Luke recounts a story from Jesus' life in chapter 7 and verse 36. It says, one, when one of the Pharisees came, you've maybe heard this story, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, it says, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, the, the scripture says she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when this religious person saw this, he said to, him, to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This Pharisee was so quick to judge. And I got thinking about this. I got thinking, I wonder, you know, how did he know that she was a sinner? By reputation, we presume. But then why did he, you know, why did he only say to himself and not out loud what he said about, about if Jesus knew who was, you know, touching him? He wouldn't allow it because she's a sinner. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't want to go too far down that trail. Maybe he didn't want anyone else there to, to know that he knew of this woman's reputation or how he knew, knew of this woman's reputation. But the, the point is, he had no idea, he had no clue what was actually in her heart, yet arrogantly jumped to a judgmental conclusion anyway. And, and Jesus' words in Luke 6 remind us how important it is that we are not people who judge. He says, don't you judge. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And we know that the, the, the inverse or the opposite of this is also true, right? What is, what is Jesus implying? If we judge, well, then we're going to be judged. We, we turn the searchlight on ourselves whenever we judge. And so as believers, we need to guard against and avoid at all costs these kinds of attitudes. The writer of Proverbs reminds us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty or a judgmental spirit before a fall. And too many have found this out to be true. Just ask Jimmy Swaggart. And, and when we field the question from outside, we need to help them understand that, that a group of these kind of people in the church is not representative of the whole or representative of the attitudes that Jesus came to promote. As a matter of fact, they misrepresent the case of Christ, the cause of Christ, whose mission was fueled by love for everyone. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So hypocrisy is caused by, by arrogant and judgmental attitudes. It can also sometimes, you know, inadvertently even, be caused by a misunderstanding 
and a, and a misapplication of Scripture. This kind of thing was, was something that even the early church leaders were susceptible to. In Galatians 2, we, we find Paul, you know, arguably the, the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived, and he's relaying a story about a time when he had to confront Peter, the rock on which Jesus Christ said he was going to build his church. Paul had to confront him about an issue that divided them. And we find the story in Galatians 2, verse 11. I'm reading from uh, the, the New Living Translation. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul speaking here, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here's kind of the story. It seems that that Peter, who already knew that God had accepted the Gentiles because of the vision that he had had, you know, on the rooftop in, in Joppa, and if uh, you don't, don't know that story, go back in the book of Acts and check it out. That Peter, who knew that the Gentiles were, you know, in, so to speak, suddenly stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. He stopped eating with them because of a, a group of Christians, Jewish Christians, who showed up and thought that every Christian needed to be circumcised like they were. Peter knew what was right, we would think, but, but he was influenced by these friends of James who insisted on on misapplying the Old Testament principle of circumcision in the New Testament church. And so we look at the domino effect of, of what misapplication can do of this, of this Old Testament principle about circumcision. First, you know, Peter, who knows better, he acts out of, out of fear, and he shies away from the Gentile believers. And then it says that because of, you know, Peter's influence, Barnabas is also you know, influenced, and other Jewish Christians are led astray because of, of what Peter's got, you know, going on here, because of Peter's hypocrisy. And it's all because of this, of this misapplication of, of the principles. And so we're, we're always in danger. We're in danger of becoming hypocritical when we focus on an individual verse or a group of verses that, that we understand a certain way and, and ignore their context and we fail to interpret Scripture with the rest of Scripture. I can still hear the voice of my hermeneutics teacher in Bible college, the one who taught us about, you know, about preaching and about interpreting the Word. And he would say, when you interpret any verse in the Bible, you've got to consider the whole counsel of God. And, and what he meant by that was, it might seem like something can be taken and interpreted a certain way from a single verse, but until we, until we think about what God says about that concept or idea in the rest of Scripture, or about what we know of God's character in the rest of Scripture, or how it lines up with other accounts of the same or similar circumstances, until we have all of that information, we can't really you know, accurately interpret I remember when I worked for the Bible League of Canada, and uh, we did a lot of ministry in communist China, getting Bibles into, uh, into communist China. And, and one of the ministry stories we got back from our field workers there was so interesting. Many Chinese people, uh, I think then and now, you know, they didn't have access to the Bible, and, and some entire families would only have a scripture 
portion to share, maybe one page, and, or, or sometimes you know, even entire communities would share one or two pages of the Bible. And here's what can happen in that circumstance. One such community, you know, they had the scripture portion that talked about the baptism of Jesus, where an audible voice was, was heard from heaven saying, you know, God spoke and said, this is my beloved son. I'm, I'm well pleased with him. And so this, this group, this community, they read that, that story and, and they discerned from this that in order to follow Jesus, in order to be like Jesus, you know, that they would need to hear the audible voice of God speak to them. And so they began to, to promote this, this uh, teaching and they began to, to pray, you know, that this would happen and, and told people, everyone they knew, that if they wanted to follow Jesus and they wanted to be like him, they had to audibly, you know, physically hear a voice, to hear God's voice speak to them. And when our workers finally came to that community and provided you know, entire Bibles for them, and we're able to, to give them some, some context and some teaching and explain to them, you know, w- what it means to really come to know Jesus. They understood then that it, that it w- was nothing to do with an audible voice. All they had to do was, was believe. But that is just how easily a misunderstanding or a misapplication of Scripture can end up leading people astray and even cause, you know, this hypocritical kind of behavior especially when we, you know, foist or push those ideas on others. The Pharisees were, were reprimanded by Jesus because of this very kind of thing when, when they took him to task for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus told them this in Matthew chapter 9. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. You see, in, in the minds of the, of the Pharisees, of the Jewish leaders, Jesus was being hypocritical because he was a teacher, a rabbi, and he was spending his time with these sinful people. Their tradition and, and misunderstanding of even the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to Messiah caused them to be you know, so religious and even worse, they were elitist in this circumstance and they didn't begin to even understand that why Jesus came, that he came to reach out to sinful people. And so, they, and so they, they misunderstood, misapplied. And remember the story we touched on earlier? Peter and Paul and their confrontation, those who were insisting on circumcision for the Christian believers, that very same elitist kind of, kind of thinking was happening there. The Jewish faction was, was the ones who said, no, you have to be like us. You've got to have, experience it like us, insisting that the Gentile believers had to do what they did through circumcision. And the pressure was so great that Peter even felt it and by his example had led Barnabas and others astray. But here's what I want you to notice. They were eventually able to work it out. Paul confronted Peter in this, you know, we think in this private meeting about his stance on the subject in Galatians 2 that we read together. And through this confrontation, through this exchange, it seems that over some time, at least, they were able to work out their differences. Why do we think that? Well, because by the time it came to the floor in a, in a public meeting, Peter addressed the group about the fact that the Gentiles were saved by faith in Christ, just as, as the Jews had been. And even James, by this time, you know, was, was on board with, with this idea. Uh, and we, we know about this from what was called the Jerusalem Council that happened in, in Acts chapter 15, where they, they talked about it and they determined that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised, but they discussed 
They discussed it a lot. It says that after much discussion, Peter got up to address the group, and they weighed Scripture, and they weighed evidence and experience and what was happening in the, in the church in that day, and they came to the conclusion that it was not required that the Gentiles be circumcised. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, you know, as, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so when we, when we come up against these, these scriptural issues and misunderstanding or misapplication, we, we have dialogue and we discuss and we, we come to, to, to better conclusions. And you know what? I wonder. I wonder how many individuals or how many groups of people have Christians offended you know, by their expressions of hypocrisy. I don't want to get into the debates today, but, you know, we think about historically some of the things that the, that the church, you know, the institutional church has been involved in, and we think about, about all kinds of horrible things in, in, in our historical past, like, you know, the Inquisitions and the Crusades, and you can add to your list. But we have a, a long way to go when it comes to loving our neighbors as ourselves and truly showing Christ's love to those who are outside of faith, especially those who are different than we are or whose lifestyles we disagree with or don't approve of. And so that's a lot to think about, isn't it? Hypocrisy is caused by arrogant and judgmental attitudes. It's, it's caused by misunderstanding or misapplication sometimes of Scripture. And then lastly, I want to talk about this one. It's caused by immature faith, by immature faith. Christians can end up doing hypocritical things when they are immature in their faith. And it's, it's important to note that, that spiritual maturity is not always related to elapsed time as a believer. Just let you think about that for a second. Just because someone has been in the church for a long time doesn't mean they are necessarily spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity happens as people grow in their, in their faith, in their personal walk with God, understanding God's Word, but also applying it to their lives, having God's Word you know, change and transform who they are, and a deepening relationship with Jesus, cultivating that through worship and prayer and the influence of the, of the teaching of God's Word. And, and so we, we understand that spiritual maturity is, you know, we, we haven't always grasped it the way we need to. Paul dealt with some messy stuff at the church in Corinth as a result of, you know, spiritual immaturity. Uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm reading from the paraphrase, from the message paraphrase. But he writes, he says, I also received a report of, of scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that wouldn't be tolerated even outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother, and, and you're so far above it all that it doesn't even seem to phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it, shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? What? <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul, is, Paul is like writing to the church and he's going, even people who aren't in the church know that this is messed up. How could you possibly think that this is okay? Clearly, Clearly, there was a high, high level of spiritual immaturity in the Corinthian church. And, and it sounds like, you know, it goes all the way to the leadership. And in the, it's, this kind of, it's this kind of behavior in the church that brings Christianity under fire from the outside, isn't it? When people hear about or observe some of these kinds of things, 
uh, in the lives of those who call themselves Christians, it becomes easy for them to, to level this accusation of, of hypocrite. I can't tell you, you know, most of the stories that I have encountered in nearly 30 years now of ministry where, where good people who were followers of Jesus and part of the church did some very unchristian things because of their spiritual immaturity. And I wouldn't say they didn't know any better necessarily, but, but they were just not strong enough, some of them in their faith, to deal successfully with temptation and to make better choices. And so, you know, they, they messed up and they slipped and they, they fell into sin. And, and thankfully, you know, many of them got up and, and repented and, and, and made some new, some new goals and began to follow Jesus better and all of those kind of things began to grow in their walk. But then there are some others that have been around the church a long time, but they had never embraced, you know, fully the Christian lifestyle, the Christ-like lifestyle, because they thought that coming to church once a week was, you know, all there was to it, and that the rest of the time Jesus really didn't have that much influence in their lives. And their experience as believers in Jesus had been a very shallow one. And so we've got these, these two, uh, you know, groups of spiritually immature people, some that would tell you they've been Christians for 20 years, but very shallow experience with Jesus. Some who are brand new in their faith and, and you know, probably, ha- not probably, have, have a way better excuse, I think. But with, with this kind of compartmental approach to faith, hypocrisy is inevitable. Those, those people that have been in the church for a long time and, you know, just think that it's about the church thing. And so Paul said to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, he said, Examine yourselves. You need to, you need to look inward. You need to, you need to think about you know, you know, the, the depth of your own spiritual walk. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. Well, the test is, is knowing this, that there is more to being in the faith than belonging to a church or saying a prayer. Following Jesus is, is about, you know, receiving and experiencing His grace at no cost and with no strings attached. That is true. But that is also the beginning of, of a journey. It's just the beginning. We, we then embark on a, on a following journey where we make a commitment, a commitment to, to accountable relationships with other Christians and to, to reading and studying the Word of God and applying it to our lives while striving to be more and more like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And it's this process of, of growing, of being formed more into his likeness, into, into what Jesus is like. And we talk a lot about growing together in Christ's likeness around here, and that's what we're getting at here. We know that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Jesus did all that for us. But the more we do the things that God's Word asks us to do, the more we spend time in prayer, developing our relationship with Jesus, the more we interact with other Christians who help to, you know, sharpen us like iron sharpens iron, as we mentioned before, then the more mature, theoretically, we are becoming. Unfortunately, there always seems to be some in the church who are immature in their faith and who, whether, you know, intentionally or not, end up acting like like hypocrites. When someone is new to faith in the church, we, we sort of expect that some of that's inevitable. But as Christians who have been in the faith, who have been around for a while, and who don't want to be hypocritical, we need, 
We need to submit ourselves to a a practice and a routine of spiritual formation and growth, not because we're saved by works, but because we grow and we mature in our faith when we do these things. We need to be intentional about our spiritual growth. Paul said to the Corinthians, when I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And so, so we, we know there's a time for understanding in this regard. Spiritual immaturity, you know, it has its time and place. When people are, are new to faith and they're just, just figuring it out and they, they don't, don't quite get it all yet. But we can't live there. Eventually, we need to grow up. Right? And when we, and when we do that, you know, we, we sort of help our case when it comes to this challenge of, of hypocrites. So there's the arrogant and judgmental attitudes, misunderstanding and misapplication of Scripture, immature faith, all potential causes of hypocrisy in the church of Jesus. And we've, we've seen it. You've seen it. There's no way around the fact that there are some hypocrites in the church. Some of them act innocently, out of immaturity. Many of them either do know better or at least should know better. And so we kind of have to just kind of own that one, right? Well, why, why do we share all of this today? Well, we're not going to ask you to raise your hand if you think you're a hypocrite, if that's what you're worried about, okay? I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I think we do need to do something with, with all of this information. There, there is a, a large uh, population of our world out there who will potentially miss out on the amazing grace and the amazing goodness of God in their lives unless we help them to address this issue of hypocrisy in the church. And so, to just kind of wrap this up today, I want everyone, whether you're a believer here in the room today or over in the video cafe or in our chapel watching online, if you're, if you're a believer today, I want you to, to think about how do I respond? How do I respond to what we've heard about this this morning. And if, and if you're someone who's still skeptical and still has questions, I want you to consider the same thing. How do I respond to this information? It, is, there, is, is there a way for me to move forward here uh, on, on my journey in this? And so, two groups of people. You're a Christian in the room. You're a Christian watching or in one of our other rooms here. I, I beg you. <laughs> I, I do. I beg you. When it comes to this challenge of hypocrisy in the church. Stop being defensive and stop saying stupid things like you've heard someone else say before, you know, like don't worry about, don't worry about too many hypocrites in the church. There's always room for one more, right? Well, that's not helpful. It's not an answer. It, it just doesn't work. It's, it's actually, you know, condescending. And so we, we don't want to do that. Instead of being defensive about it, why not just, why not just own it? Just own it. Just, just embrace honesty and humility. Acknowledge that it happens. But, but then talk about the fact that it's not the norm, and it never should be how the church as a whole is measured. And use the information that we talked about today to, to, to help people understand how that it can happen, even though it shouldn't. And, and let me tell you this, if you're having this conversation about hypocrisy with someone outside the faith, take it up a notch, because they are looking at you and your life 
as, as the example of, of what Christianity is all about. And so you need, to, you need to live, you know, the most unhypocritical life in front of them that they've ever seen. The best way to convince a skeptic that the church isn't full of hypocrites is to show them somebody who's not, to be a real and genuine, authentic and growing believer who, who makes mistakes and who owns those mistakes and do all of that in front of them and love them like Jesus loves them. And I'll tell you something, if you do that, they'll eventually come around. They'll eventually come around. If you're of, of another group, if you're still someone who's asking some questions, you're a skeptic, you're a seeker in the room, you're trying to figure all this out, can I just ask that, you know, that you be patient with us and that you, you know, try to understand that like anyone involved in, in any kind of pursuit, that we are all on a journey and at different points in our journey. You see, knowing this, that, that we haven't all arrived, will, will hopefully help you to understand that we're not all the same and that the, the actions of a few don't dictate or determine the experience of the many that there is a, a greater, you know, body of people out there, the church of Jesus Christ, who are not like, you know, all of those negative, negative examples that you think about. If I could illustrate it this way, you know, if you, were, if you were choosing a family, would you miss out on a great, you know, family experience comprised of wonderful parents and amazing brothers and sisters and cousins and grandparents and, and other relatives? Would you miss out on all of that because of one weird or slightly confused or offensive family member? You know, the creepy uncle that nobody gets and is always making inappropriate comments. See, most of us can maybe relate to that kind of illustration. What we want you to know today is this, that the church, that is the people, the group of people who follow Jesus, this great family here, it's an amazing family. We're, we're not all perfect and we may even have a few creepy uncles out on the fringes. I don't know. But, but don't, you know, my grandmother used to say this, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Please don't do that with the church. Give God's family a chance. Because God's intent for his church is that, is that through us, through it, his manifold, his many-splendored wisdom would be made known in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your goodness for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word this morning. And God, we pray that, that we will be able to take and reflect and, and Lord, use this word to, to be able to ponder and think about, God, how we, how we will respond. And I just pray, I pray in the closing moments of this service, of this, of this talk, that God, you will, you will help us to just reflect. Lord, for Christians in the room, who God maybe are just are looking for some, some help, something to hang on to when, when people challenge them with this question about trusting the church and about, about hypo, hypocrites and hypocrisy. That God, you'll have given them some, some uh, information today that can be helpful to them. Maybe, uh, God, there are Christians in the room who have, are just reflecting in this moment and realizing, yeah, you know what, God, I need to make some changes. I, I need to... I need to, to live uh, more intentionally. I need to be formed in my spiritual walk more intentionally. And God, help me to do that. Help me to get into your word. Help me to find a, a group where I can be involved with other Christians and help me to grow because, because I need that. And so, Lord, as we just reflect for a moment, I pray that you'll help 
You'll help Christians, believers everywhere, here, Lord, online, in our chapel, wherever they are this morning, to just think about those things. And then, God, I pray for maybe some who are here or who are watching, God, who are still asking their questions. They're still skeptical. They're still standing back and, and waiting. And I, and I pray, God, that you will, God, just by your Holy Spirit, even speak to their hearts this morning. And, and God, help them to overcome that, that hurdle of, of the hypocrisy that they see in the church and to take a chance today on God's family. Lord, maybe uh, there are some of them who are listening, watching God, who are ready to say yes to you. And I pray that that in this moment, you'll just give them the courage to pray a quiet little prayer and say, Lord Jesus, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes to you today. I'm going I'm to follow you. I want to be a part of your family, a, a part of the community of faith. And God, as they make that decision, I pray that you'll just help them to pray that little prayer. Or maybe, God, that you'll help them. They're not ready to, to sort of go all the way this morning to to have the courage to sit down with someone that they know who's a Christian and, and kind of talk this out and have a conversation. Lord, however we respond today, we believe that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and will speak to us and reveal your truth. And so, God, we commit this to you. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we bring this service time to a close and as we worship in just a moment, that, God, we would not only be reminded But Lord, we would make a a fresh commitment to the fact that all that we are as the church, as believers in Jesus, we want to do for your honor and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.